um, again. Um, so we're going to look at it in that context um, this well, as well this morning. So I'm going to read 1 Samuel 17. Uh, it's a long chapter, as I'm sure you'll realize. I mean, it's uh, four pages in this Bible. So um, bear with me. But we need the whole chapter, really, to get the, 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 the context of, of what actually happens. So the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokar in Judah. Uh, they pitched camps at Ephes Damim between Sokar and Asakar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to fight me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ethrite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three sons had followed Saul to the war. The first was Eliad, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those food sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. 
your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of arm on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine, as the Philistine moved forward uh, to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Now the essence of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has won an extraordinary victory, hasn't he? Um, this is the news that we take in the gospel. The news that man's enemy, greatest enemy, is defeated. Through his death and through his resurrection, as David said earlier, Jesus himself has delivered us from sin and death. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, towards the end of chapter 15, he wrote these words. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, do you know that victory for yourself? Are you feeling that victory? Not your victory. You haven't won a victory. Are you feeling that victory? Do you feel it in here? Do you feel that victory? Do you feel the joy of that? Do you feel the, 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 the passion of, of what Jesus has done for you? Does it fill you with joy? Or have you become dulled? Have you become fearful, perhaps? Have you lost that first love, maybe? Maybe you're trudging through the treacle of Christianity. Every step is a, is a hurdle. It's hard work. and You're fearful of what's coming, and, and you're hiding away because of, of your fear and your dismay about perhaps what's going on in the world or, or what's happening in your family or what's going on at your workplace or wherever. And in this passage, we get a real glimpse of, of the power of God, as David has already said. We see a people, a people who were fearful and dismayed, don't we? And we see a leader who did nothing. Absolutely nothing about that at all. But then, then we see God's man step up, step up out of the ranks, step up uh, to show uh, not God's man, really God's boy, to show that the victory is there for the taking. The victory is, is already ours. David knew that. Do we know that? Do we know that the victory is already ours? We see David, don't we, doing this. We, I'm hoping this morning we're going to take encouragement from this. We're going to learn from this. This is the encouragement I want us to get as we think about looking for a leader, but also as we think about our own fears and the dismays that, that we have. There may be times, you know, and I'm, I'm quite happy with this, maybe times when you don't feel inspired by me or by my words or even by the words of the other elders in the church to be passionate for Christ. But that's inconsequential in, in this as we're thinking about looking for a leader, really, a new pastor. What we do need to think about, as I already said this, we need to think about as we're looking for a leader, somebody who we, we know we, we're, we're willing to follow in the battle, if you like, and one who will help us and steer us through the fears that we have, help us with our dismay, help us uh, to, to, to live in that love that we have for Jesus and the love that he has for us, to help us live in the victory. That's what we should be thinking about when we're looking for a leader. So this morning we're going to look at that in two points. And the first point is the enemy, because we're, we're thinking this morning about the defeat of our enemy, and I just want to think about the enemy this morning, firstly. First point. So David and Goliath is a famous story, isn't it? It's a really famous story. Everyone, everyone, it's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, probably the most famous story in the Old Testament. Um, but we have to remember that it's not a standalone story. You know, if you get a children's Bible, you, know, you, you might jump from, from you know, Hannah's prayer in, in the beginning of Samuel to David and Goliath. You know, it's not a standalone story. It's an important story in the context of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And it's a very important story also in the context of the whole Bible. The New how does the New Testament start? The New Testament starts Matthew 1 1, doesn't it? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. That's how the New Testament starts. David's story. It's vital background, vital gospel background, when we think about the mission of Jesus. It's vital. 
to think about that. And the story of David and Goliath is full of the gospel, as, already, as, as David has already indicated here this morning, and we already sung about. You know, when we think about it in the context of 1 Samuel, let's think about, you know, we've read some of these. So 1 Samuel 8, 19, 20 says this. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Excuse me. The people asked for their idea of a king, didn't they? Now, what 1 Samuel 17 shows us, without any doubt, in case you weren't really sure up to this point after reading about Saul, is that whatever happens, if you get your own king, you often get, you get the wrong king because the people wanted their king and they got the wrong king, didn't they? Because here is Saul and he does nothing. In, in chapter 14, Jonathan led his men and, and defeated the Philistines. Uh, but here we go, back to verse 1 of chapter 17. The Philistines gathered their forces of war and assembled at Sokar in, Jordan, in Judah. Sorry. So they're, they're already back on Israelite so- soil. They're not gone. So- Saul, who was the king who was supposed to get rid of the Philistines, hadn't. Simple as that. And so the narrator introduces us to this army and he introduces us to this champion. And we're meant to see here, he gives us great detail. I'm not going to go into all that. He gives us great detail. What we're supposed to see is the ultimate warrior here. Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall. Heavily armoured. Armed to the teeth. We're supposed to see an impressive stature of a man. That's what the narrator is drawing us into in those verses from verse 4 down to verse 7. It's an impressive warrior. But when we read that, we're also supposed to cast our mind across the valley. Aren't we? Because when Saul was revealed as the king, when Saul was revealed as the leader, this is what Samuel said. So this is what happens in 1 Samuel 10, 23 and 24. So they ran and brought him out. Remember, he was hiding in the baggage. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. This is what Samuel said. Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. There is no one like him in the whole of Israel. There is no one like Saul, the impressive leader. And maybe this was on the mind of Goliath. The NIV doesn't quite get the tone right here. So in the NIV it says, why do, you, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Now, the better rendering of that is, am I not the Philistine? I am the Philistine. So I am the, the leader of the Philistines. I am the one. I represent the Philistines. But you, you lot out there, you thousands of soldiers... You are just Saul's slaves. That's a better word, slaves. You're just the slaves of Saul. You're just standing there on Saul's behalf. And the Israelite army were not prepared to fight him. We know that because he came out for 40 days. 40 days and no one did anything about it. And then he says this, choose a man and have him come down to fight me. Well, hold on a second. Haven't they already done that? Haven't they already chosen a man? Surely they've already chosen Saul to be the one who is going to fight the Philistines. 
They didn't need to choose anyone else. Saul was already there to do this. This is what he was there for. And this is what Goliath is taunting them with. This is what the narrator is leading us to. There was only one candidate in the whole of Israel who had the credentials to fight Goliath. And where was he? Nowhere to be seen. We have that tension, don't we, in the first part of this chapter. You've got the impressive Philistine and the impressive Israelite. Right? It, it, it should have been like the fight of the century. Ali versus Foreman, Tyson versus Holyfield. That's what it should have been like. This is it, it's going to happen. The big battle. But Goliath had no one to fight. Why did he have no one to fight? Why would no one fight them? Because we're told clearly, on the hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, the impressive man who was supposed to be fighting them, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so, what did Saul did, do? Saul did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Saul just waited. Day after day, week after week, Saul just sat and waited and did nothing about it. Now, as I said to start with, sometimes we might feel dismayed and terrified. Maybe you feel dismayed and terrified today. I don't know. Maybe you're facing enemies yourself in your own life. When we think about our walk with Jesus, sometimes there are Goliaths that we, we have to face, aren't there? And we know that personally in our own lives. But as we've sung this morning, and as David reminded us, you know, as we draw near to God, God has, Jesus gave us his spirit. And as we draw near to God, we need to rest in his word. We need to rest in his word. Often we need to rest in his word and in his love and understand that. We need to know that the victory that we have. We need to be reminded of that constantly. You know, we sang uh, words that, that come from Romans 8. I'm going to read the, the, the last part of Romans 8 because this is the, the promise is over and over and over in the Bible, but here's just one example of that. Paul writes this in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Which Goliath can be against us? Paul says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long, for we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our God. And Paul wrote those to inspire and to encourage the church in Rome. And the reality is, is that we often need that, don't we? We need to be pointed in the right direction. I'm not bigging myself up by pointing you in the right direction this morning, but I'm just trying to point this out to you. We need elders and pastors who are going to help us on our journey. That's why God gives them to us. That's what the, the New Testament tells us. They're there to help us, to inspire us, to encourage us, to remind us of God's word. And that's when we know that the leader we have, when they're doing that, we know that's God's choice and not our choice. Because our choice 
When we're dismayed and terrified, our choice would be in the tents where Saul was. God needed people who would, God's people needed someone who would stand with them and who would remind them of the gospel, the message of the gospel. They needed that. They needed someone to remind them of their victorious state on this day at the Valley of Elah. Thousands of Israelite soldiers needed somebody to remind them that Goliath is just a giant. He's nobody. He's big, nine feet, nine inches, lots of armor, big swords, big shields, whatever, but he's just a man. That's what they needed. And Saul did nothing. But David was the one who stepped up to show them the way. So our second point this morning is the victory. So in verse 12, the narrator reintroduces us to David. Now, I have to say, to just to tell you, that, that, that like in a lot of historical books in the Bible, in 1 Samuel, the, the chronology is a, is a bit haphazard. Okay? But that's often the case in the, the Bible. The scribes were not often interested in getting things down as they happened. They were trying to relay a story of God's uh, it, you know, relationship with man, or God's relationship with these people. And uh, they weren't too worried about linear history at, um, at that point. Um, so, you know, so there's a great example actually in this chapter. So a great example in this chapter in verse 54 onwards that says, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem and put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. Right, well, David did not conquer Jerusalem for another 20 to 30 years. Jerusalem was not part of Israel in this part of its history. But those who were reading this for the first time would have known that. They knew that when, when they're reading this, that, well, hold on a second, that can't be right, because David couldn't have gone to Jerusalem because it wasn't under Israelite control. David didn't have a tent there. No one had a tent there from Israel. But what, the, what the, the scribes are trying to tell us is that later on at some point, David got the, the weapons of, of Goliath in his head and took, him, took them to Jerusalem. And... And that's why we're reintroduced to David at this point, even though we've been introduced to him in chapter 16. We are introduced to him in chapter 16, but we're not quite sure where this fits in in chapter 16. It, doesn't, it, it definitely comes before the second part of chapter 16. But that, it's not, I'm just pointing that out, it doesn't matter in the context of what the, the, we're, trying to, we're being told here. What is important in this chapter is that David is the only Israelite who is willing to stand up to the Philistine. We're given David's memories of the day, aren't we? We're told how David ended up uh, at, the, at, the, at the battlefield, or the battle lines, not the battlefield, because there wasn't a battle going on, at the front line. We're told how he, he David, and this must have come from David, and I always think this um, comes from David because of the things that he says. Um, but, you know, this comes from David. You know, he disobeyed his, his father, didn't he? Because his dad told him to take the food to his brothers and to take the cheeses to the commanders. And we're told that David just left them with the, the supply commander. David didn't do as his dad told him to do. He was too keen to get to the front line. We're, we're, David tells us how he wound up his old, older brother, how Eliab got really annoyed with him. And I can, I can actually, you know, personally, having an older brother, or uh, have had an older brother, can... can Relate to David here. What have I done? Can't I even speak, he says to his brother. And you can see these are words of memories from David. I even think when it, we're told that um, 
Goliath saw David coming towards him and saw that he was ruddy and handsome. Again, I think those are the words of David. I think when he, the scribes were writing this, David was thinking, just include that bit about me being ruddy and handsome, because I'd really like that to be in there. You know? Because I think David, David is, 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 is telling us the story here of what happened that day. And so we get to, to how these things happened. And we see that when David is there at the front line, the Goliath comes out. Verse 23 is really important here. Uh, Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. David heard it. And it seems that David was the only one who perceived that this guy was not just defying the Israelite army and Saul, he was defying the God of all things. Only David seemed to realize that. No one else seems to realize that. And so he starts to ask questions. There's a rumor going about, about people being rewarded. And David's just getting clear in his head about what are these rumors true? What is this happening? So he asks questions. And because he asks questions, he ends up in front of Saul, the king. And we see David's faith jumping out. That, that power that David mentioned earlier from, comes from chapter 16 when he was anointed king. Because David presents the gospel to Saul, doesn't he? Verse 32. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. You're not able to go and fight against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is David's gospel message to Saul, to God's people. He's delivering the gospel. And when you think about it, think about these first words. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And when I was reading that over and over during the week, I kept thinking, they must have been the most ridiculous words spoken in the whole of Israel that day. All the words spoken in Israel that day, they must have been the most, seemed the most ridiculous. Can you imagine? Here's a shepherd boy, and he says, let no one lose heart, even you, king. <clears throat> Don't lose heart, king, you impressive giant of a man that you are. Don't lose heart. Why shouldn't you lose heart? Well, you're not going to fight him, king, and no one else is going to fight him. But I'll tell you someone else who will, I'll tell you someone who will, king, I'll go and fight him. How ridiculous must that have seemed? Can you imagine being in the tent? Can you imagine being part of the entourage in Saul's tent? Being part of his bodyguards? Imagine what you would have thought that day. Here's this king. We don't know how old David was. As, uh, uh, we have no idea. A young man. Can you imagine the dismay amongst the people? What is he on about, this kid? And even Saul tries to put him off, doesn't he? But David saw Goliath as we should always see other people. He saw him with the eyes of God, didn't he? He's just a giant, just a big bloke. You know, when I was growing up, my brother used to say to me, the bigger they are, Andrew, the harder they fall. That's what he used to say to me all the time. And I said, it's just a big bloke. 
And David, he sees this guy with, with, with God's eyes. And he says, the Lord who delivered me will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. There's no, I'm thinking that the Lord who's delivered me might deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. There's power in those words. He's going to deliver me. I don't care what you think, Lord. I don't care what the army thinks. I don't care what anyone thinks. The Lord will deliver me. It's God's message. God will save me, David says. Now, 400 years earlier, Moses had delivered a very similar message to the people in Exodus 14, verse 13, when they're being chased by the Egyptian army. Moses said, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you this day. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you, Moses said. Then we move a thousand years on from David's time to Bethlehem again. And different shepherds watching their flocks in the fields at night time. And some angels come and say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Do not fear. God will deliver you. It's the same gospel message that we take today, isn't it? The same gospel message that I have and that you have. It hasn't changed from David's day. Even though David was a thousand years before Christ. (coughs) You fear sin and death, God will deliver you. He will deliver you through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Saul didn't believe him, just like lots of people don't believe us today. You can't do that. Saul says to him, it's not, not, you're just not able to. But David tells him the gospel. And I like the bit at the end of when David, after David tells him the gospel, the last part of chapter 37, go and the Lord be with you. And David, I think Saul's probably thinking in his head, man, am I going to get rid of this kid? Okay, go and the Lord be with you. Never going to see him again. And he's wanted David to put on his armour, didn't he? But David knew that this was God's battle, not his battle. And so he takes his stones, he picks his stones up, takes his sling, and he goes out to meet Goliath. And at that moment in time, David revealed that he was not going to be a king like the other nations, was he? He was going to be a king who trusted completely in God. <clears throat> sort of like having that sort of moment in my head where I sort of imagine the, the Philistine army and Goliath and the Israelite battle lines drawn up. And I imagine David strolling out. There are two sides of a valley, don't forget. And David strolling out from the, striding out from the Israelite line. You know, everyone would have been able to see him, wouldn't they? Everyone on both sides would have been able to see him as he walked down the hillside down towards the valley. Everyone would have been able to see David. Both sides would have been able to see David. A few years ago, you might have seen the same movie, but a few years ago I saw a movie with Brad Pitt as the Greek hero Achilles. Um, and there's a scene, and I remember doing the way it came to my head when I was thinking of this picture, there's a scene where two armies come together and uh, they decide their champions are going to fight for the, for the victory, straight from the Bible. Uh, and so one army has their giant, their Goliath, and the other army has the wiry, agile Achilles. You know, and that's the two champions come forward. The soldiers on both sides are getting excited, animated, like, like fans at a boxing match. 
and they're shouting out their heroes' names, and they're banging their shields and their swords against their shields and their spears on the ground. They're excited for their heroes. They're shouting out their names. I don't imagine, I don't imagine that when I think about this. Story. I don't imagine the Israelites going, David, David, David. No one knew who he was. Go on, David, give it to him. No one knew. I can't imagine them doing that. Can you? I can imagine them talking to each other. I think, where's he going? What's he think he's doing? What, is he going down there? What, really? What? And you can imagine the Philistines thinking, wow, this is going to be fun, lads. Great, get, get a bit closer. Come on, let's all, oh, this is going to be great. And we can see that in Goliath, can't we? Goliath says to him in verse 43, he says, uh, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And what does David do? David shares the gospel with him. David says, I don't care who you are, I'm going to share the gospel with you. He had a gospel message, didn't he? And he's, he's going to share it with this. David read it, I've read it once, I'm going to read it again. You come against me with sword and spirit and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Here's the gospel. Goliath. The Lord can save me. The Lord will save me. He's the only one who can save me. He's the only one who can save all of you. That's a message that we still have today. And we see that David wins the battle. Incredibly, David wins the battle, doesn't he? And the, as soon as Goliath is down, the, the Philistines flee and the, the Israelites chase after them. Because David gives them the encouragement, the impetus to, to move. Look, come on, guys, we've got them on the run now. We have the victory. Let's live in that victory. Celebrate that victory. It's David's message to the people of Israel. It's God's message to us today. Let's live in the victory that we have. Let's be thinking about, as we're looking for a leader, let's look for a leader who is going to help us to live in the victory. Inspire us to live in the victory. Encourage us to live in the victory. Challenge us to live in the victory. That's what we should be thinking about. David proved to be God's man for God's people. And we're not going to look at his story and maybe some other time um, someone will look into the rest of this with you. But that's the, the, our point was, it, it comes to an end here, really. And there's lots of, we finished this morning, there's lots of application, isn't there, for here, for here today. Lots of application. For all of us, every single one of us is application here this morning. Because it's clear that we have to be focusing our thoughts. When we're looking for a leader, we have to be focusing our thoughts on, on God's man to be leader. We can't just um, focus our hearts on our preferences. Yeah, we can have our preferences and we can use our discernment. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But we have to surround that with prayer. We have to be praying about this. Who is God's man? You know, if we, if we pick a Saul character, then he's not going to be there to help us when we're dismayed and terrified or to, to, to inspire us in the victory. We need a David character, don't we? Who's going to encourage us to get into the battle? The second application really is maybe you're here this morning 
And um, you're still facing those en enemies that, that all humans face, that, those enemies of sin and death. Maybe you've yet to seek salvation through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If so, let me just say to you that the knowledge of your sin and the prospect of your death might be those things that are grieving you and, and causing you terror, causing you dismay. I don't know. And it's clear from, this, from my message that, that being a Christian is not an easy life. I'm, I'll never ever say that is. Jesus said it's a road, a narrow road. It's a road that leads to freedom, but it's a, it's a difficult road. Jesus said that. But it leads to new life in Christ. It brings assurance that my sin is covered. It brings assurance of victory. That's what it does. Assurance that my death has been defeated through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Let me read you those words from Paul again at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can know that victory for yourself through faith in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, this morning, it's going to be the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. So finish there at 57. This is verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I just apply this to, to a passion for life, to the event that we're putting on. Because stepping out with an invite in your hand is not easy. One of the sessions that we did in the Passion for Life studies was crossing the pain line. How do you get across the pain line? How do you get past that Goliath, that fear of rejection, that fear of mocking? How do you get past that? How do you step out of the front line with an invite in your hand to ask somebody to come to a meal where you know the gospel will be presented through word and song? But we have to remember we have a God who can save. We have a God who gives us the victory. And God who has saved us will be with us, just as he was with David. The word is full of promises of that for us reminds us over and over again that God will help us. God will give us the strength. And it's not easy to step forward armed only with an invite. I know that. I'm not saying it is. But we need to be willing to rest on God and his power. And so just as I finish, I'm going to read two more sections from uh, Letters of Paul, just to inspire me and to inspire you and to encourage us as we think about how we step, uh, you know, cross the pain line and step out of the front line with an invite in hand. These are the words of Paul to two different, one to a church and one to Timothy. So again, to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 10, he says this. We do not want you to be un uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to, to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and that he will continue to deliver us. Then when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18, he says this, And my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May I not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me 
the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just close our service now, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us, by your spirit, Lord. We thank you that you encourage us by the words of the songs that we sing, Lord. You'll inspire us by your word and challenge us by your word as well. I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we might uh, go away from this place today just thinking about what you've said to us, whether it's through the words of, uh, of David or through the words of one of the songs, Lord, that we, uh, we sang earlier or through the words of, of your, your holy word or even through my words, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you might just encourage us and inspire us, Lord, to, to live in the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we fail you often and we know that. And Lord, we are often fearful and we are often dismayed. But I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us with the message of your gospel and help us to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.